Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hello, and thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. In today's podcast, we're traveling to South America, Bolivia to be exact, with anthropologist Brett Gustafson. Back in the 1990s, Gustafson was spending a lot of his time in the southeastern part of Bolivia with an indigenous group known as the Guarani. At the time, he was working on a book about the Guarani's demand for language rights, education, and land. And on his many research trips, he noticed a change sweeping the country. During the latter part of my time there in the late 1990s and early 2000s, a new phenomenon hit, and that was uh, the rush for natural gas. Gustafson witnessed international companies like the now infamous Enron rushing into Bolivia for natural gas. And in many cases, this activity unfolded across Guarani land. So on top of a longer history of uh, struggle for rights, uh, now they had to contend with natural gas. And it pretty much was an obvious decision for a next research project was to try to understand how this boom in natural gas was uh, radically transforming their lives. To understand how lives in this region have changed because of natural gas, we first have to have some sort of picture about what life was like before. And if you're like many people, you might have an inaccurate vision in mind. A lot of people imagine when I say indigenous, or this some conversations I have with my students, when I say indigenous, they may imagine a pristine society, perhaps out in a remote area, and the big development machine comes in and threatens their way of life. That's a nice sort of simple way of thinking, but it's very far from reality. In fact, indigenous peoples are modern, like you and me. They live in towns and cities and small villages, often alongside of other people who aren't, don't consider themselves indigenous. They work on ranches owned by non-indigenous landlords. They have jobs in the city. So you have a complex regional space. However, within this complex space, there are cultural differences between the Guarani and many non-indigenous people. For example, the people that Gustafson worked with in Bolivia often had a particular view of nature. When my Guarani friends go fishing, uh, they consider it visiting a a, a spiritual entity who cares for the fish and much like someone would offer you food if you came to their house, that river entity is offering you fish and you better not take too much or they may punish you with sickness or some other misfortune. Here's where we get back to the natural gas boom. Imagine, if you don't feel this way already, that you have the sorts of beliefs that Gustafson just described that things like rivers are entities that should be respected. Now, imagine seeing the emergence of the natural gas industry in your backyard and how hard that might be. After all, not just fishing requires water. You need water to drill. You need water to inject the drilling muds um, and they produce dirty water after you drill. And the entire region where natural gas is being developed is already water scarce. On top of all the environmental issues brought with the new industry, the natural gas boom means economic and employment problems. Uh, Natural gas also brings in outside workers. 
the Guarani who live there don't have a lot of skills, so they may get hired to clean up around the gas plant or uh, build fences or something like that. But the well-paid jobs are held by mostly men who come from the city for a couple weeks, then go back home. And along with employment problems, there are social problems that come with the industry. Uh, as we see throughout the world, when you have a gas or oil camp like that, you get other things like prostitution uh, in the environs of gas camps. So there are lots of uh, unsettling things that are happening uh, in this region, and that's partly what I'm trying to understand. As Gustafson looked more and more at how natural gas was shaping lives in Bolivia, often in very negative ways. In 2005, a different type of change came across the country. This time, a political change. And that was the actual election of an indigenous leader. Uh, he wasn't Guarani, he was Aymara, Evo Morales. And this was also a dramatic transformation for the entire country. Morales sought to lessen the amount of control that outside corporations had over the country. Also, like the Guarani, he had a particular view of nature. You know, he came to office invoking, invoking the Pachamama. Pachamama means the mother of time and space, or mother nature, if, if you want. And talking in those terms that uh, we're, we're not evil capitalists, we respect mother nature. With everything we've heard so far about the natural gas industry, you might now think that as president, Morales would have worked to slow down the boom. But here's the twist. That didn't happen. In fact, Morales increased the production of natural gas. Why? Well, you probably cooked your breakfast if you cooked this morning on natural gas. Um, a lot of Bolivians don't have that luxury. Uh, they either use firewood, or if you live in a city, you may have to or may have had to seek out on a day-to-day -day or weekly basis a canister of, of uh LPG, the kind you might put under your grill. So the fact that when uh, the indigenous president, Evo Morales, took power, he said, I'm going to make it a priority to provide gas to the citizens and not just to foreigners, that was a very popular move. And every time they install a new sort of part of a city, the president goes and there's a big fanfare. He'll go into the kitchen of this humble abode and turn on the gas. And it's taken as a, a, a dramatic sign of progress for the country. On top of spreading the convenience of natural gas to more people in the country, Morales renegotiated contracts with the energy companies in order to keep more of the profits in Bolivia. And so whenever Morales forced the companies to come to the table, it was also very popular. And they said, oh no, this is socialism, this is communism, and then they sat down and signed the contracts because the market for gas is, is, exists, and Bolivia has the gas. This meant more money for the Bolivian treasury and for social programs. If you're an expectant mother, you actually get paid to go to the doctor. They're trying to reduce infant mortality. If you're a, an elderly person who doesn't have or never had a formal job or a formal pension, you can get an annual elderly payment. School children can get, get annual payments, which are incentives to stay in school. Um, the government has built infrastructure, roads, housing, 
schools, hospitals. The list goes on and on. And once you hear about all of these improvements, it's a bit easier to understand why a country like Bolivia and its president would want to take advantage of the natural resources there. But where does that leave the environment? And where does it leave indigenous people, people like the Guarani? Contradictions come uh, between those who have the benefits of consumption and those who have to bear the price of where it's produced. So this has presented some, some challenges to indigenous people like the Guarani. When you oppose natural gas development, are you actually opposing now the development of your own country and a president who supposedly has sympathies with your rights? So it's become rather more complicated in the past couple of years. So knowing about at least some of the negative and also some of the positive effects of the natural gas industry in Bolivia, we're left with yet another question. Where should they go from here? Anthropologists are really, well, we're supposed to be very intellectually humble. We're more likely to say it's complicated than to say this is the absolute truth and this is what they should do. However, one thing that I and some other colleagues working in Bolivia are trying to do is uh, to get beyond simply pointing out the contradiction between the indigenous president and the assault on Mother Nature and trying to rethink for the future economic alternatives. Okay, if we're going to say that natural gas is, has negative impacts, then what other economic alternatives does a country like Bolivia have? Can Bolivia address its economic needs without doing what extractivism has done elsewhere, which is basically exhaust the environment? The jury is still out on that question, but overall, Gustafson hopes to see more small and medium-scale industry development in Bolivia, in areas like manufacturing and agriculture. Smaller businesses can be more environmentally friendly and better for employment. Global market niche products, like the popular food quinoa, can also be good for the country. But looking even beyond Bolivia, there's still a bigger question at stake. You know, one of the things that anthropologists who look at energy and global warming and the politics of poverty in a place like Bolivia, you know, in the bigger picture, what we all need to understand is how we're going to get beyond our dependence on fossil fuels and how we're going to grapple with our need for energy and the impacts on the environment and on people. So, you know, drawing connections between places like Bolivia and places like the United States, at least in my experience, this is, is sort of the bigger picture, is uh, in what ways does, does are, we, are we dependent on these forms of energy? And as human beings, do we have the capacity to imagine a world otherwise. Uh, if we don't have that capacity, we're all cooked. Many thanks to Brett Gustafson for joining Hold That Thought. For many more ideas to explore, please visit us at holdthatthought.wustl.edu. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, PRX, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm Claire Navarro. 
Thanks for listening.